Welcome to the Bridge Builder Program, an initiative of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, where we help you live your faith in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and joining me in studio today is our producer and Minnesota Catholic Conference Communications Manager, Kit Cross. Good morning, Kit. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope that you're having a very blessed day. You can catch us here each Saturday on Relevant Radio, AM 1330 at 11 a.m. But if you miss an episode or want to catch up on past episodes, just visit us at mncatholic.org slash podcast. You can also find the Bridge Builder podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Each week, we try to bring you great interviews on some of the major issues and people impacting how we live our faith in public life. We'll also answer your questions in our mailbag segment, and you can email those to us at show at mncatholic.org or contact us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And it wouldn't be the bridge builder if we didn't bring you some practical ways that you can become a missionary disciple by bringing faith into public life. Now, we sometimes talk about Catholics at the Capitol, and the Minnesota Catholic Conference sponsors a big event every other year called Catholics at the Capitol. But it's not just about Catholics in the pew going to the Capitol and lobbying legislators. There are actually Catholics at the Capitol working at the Capitol, believe it or not. Sometimes it seems like the existential periphery, a place where the gospel needs to go. But indeed, there are people who are working diligently, trying to do good things and work for the common good and the benefit of all Minnesotans at the Capitol, our public officials, but also the many people who keep the Capitol running, and those are legislative staffers. Today, we're really blessed to have with us someone with a lot of fantastic experience working at the Capitol as a legislative staffer in a number of different contexts. Kevin Matzik now works in state government relations for the Lockridge Grindle Nowen firm. But before that, he spent 19 years working at the Capitol in a number of different positions, most recently as the executive director of the Senate Republican Caucus. Kevin brings a wealth of experience and a really strong perspective, and I can tell you has done some really fantastic work on behalf of all Minnesotans, even in a partisan position at the state capitol. Kevin, his wife, and his three children are parishioners at St. Raphael Church in Crystal, and we're very blessed to have Kevin on the show with us. Good morning, Kevin Matzik. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you've done at the legislature as a staffer. What are some of the roles that you've played there besides uh, executive director of the Senate Republican Caucus? Yeah, thank you. You know, I started back in 2001 as a page, so that's a nonpartisan position who... It's, it's kind of the lowest level paid position. The only thing lower is an unpaid intern. But as a page, you, uh, you're kind of the gopher. You make copies, fetch things for legislators. From there, I moved up to a legislative assistant, and that's uh, assistant to a, uh, a legislator managing their office, their schedule, answering phone calls, uh, helping them with legislation. From there, I became a committee administrator. There, you're helping a committee chairman run the committee. You're scheduling bills to be heard in committee, lining up witnesses, making sure committee runs smoothly. And then I became uh, executive director of the caucus. In that position, you're, you're managing the staff of the caucus. You're helping the elected officials plan their legislative strategy, just the general operations of, uh, of the Senate. When I worked for the Minnesota Senate, it's how, how do we run the Senate? We have 205 staff people that work there, 67 senators. You know, it's you kind of need to run it, make sure it's functioning. And that was my role. Mm-hmm. Is there a sense in that the, the Senate and the legislators are so much turnover there all the time? Every couple of years you have an election. 
um, at least one or both of the houses and there's a lot of turnover. Is it the case that the staff is kind of like the institutional memory and make sure everything continues to run on time and actually provides a, a real important perspective from the sense of the day-to-day workings and the nuts and bolts operations that legislators might actually not have a real strong sense of? Yeah, that's that's a that's a good point, Jason. There are um, a number of staff that have been there for many years. They have that institutional knowledge on on legislation, on how a bill becomes a law, what the issues are, and how a specific issue interplays with all the the laws within the state of Minnesota. And so that that institutional knowledge that helps helps the body function so that we can move from an idea into bill form and then into a law that gets signed by the governor. What are a couple of things that from your long experience as a staff and now as an advocate that you think that uh, people should know about the legislature that you're often surprised in your conversations that people don't know? For me, it's how approachable legislators are and how easy and important it is to work with them. The impact that any one person can have reaching out and contacting their legislator's office, it really does have an impact. Um, From the staff side of things, working with legislators, I often hear from them that I heard from a constituent who has this issue, what can we do about it? And it, it, that is something as I talk to people, they think of elected officials as, you know, these unapproachable, and they are very important people, but they are connected to their communities, um, particularly at, at the state level, where you run into your legislator at the grocery store or the uh, the coffee shop and, and have a conversation with them. They are approachable. They do truly care about what their constituents um, are thinking about. And that is something that I think it's important for folks to know that you can have an impact. If there's something that's impacting your life and is there something that you know a legislator can do about it, having a conversation with them, reaching out, that, that can truly have an impact. What are some of the best ways to speak to legislators and work with them to try to advance a particular issue that you're passionate about? How do you, how do you speak effectively to them and work with them and how maybe what are some things and pitfalls and things not to do when approaching legislators? Well, one of the best ways to to communicate with a legislator is just to to reach out and, and call their office or or even if you have the opportunity to to stop by the Capitol and schedule an appointment. The legislature's in session generally from January through May and stopping by. I can tell you from a legislative staff perspective, every office I ever worked with, every senator I worked for, any legislator, they have a priority for constituents. So if they are in committee, if they're um, in a different another meeting or they have a packed day and all of a, a constituent shows up and says I'm a constituent I want to talk to my legislator they will make time for for their constituents and so if you have the ability to get to the Capitol during session just stopping by your legislator's office other than that reaching out via phone call and all the elected officials have staff that answer their phones for them and having that conversation with their staff, they'll certainly relay that message to their to their legislator that they're working for. A good way to follow what's going on. Most most legislators are on Facebook. They're on Twitter. That's if if you have the ability to get on there, just track what issues they are working on. That's one way to see kind of keep keep in touch of what the issues are at the Capitol, and then reaching out with a phone call. Like I said, stopping by is a great way to just have a conversation. 
Sometimes we talk about the three P's of the political process, people, process, and policy. The people are really, really important. What are some important staff roles at the legislature that the general public should know about and with whom they should work if they're interested in advocating for a specific issue? Certainly, the, the first, first point of contact with any legislator is going to be their legislative assistant. And so that is going to be the person, the staff person that sits outside their office door. They're, they're managing the office. They are they're answering constituent calls. They are do, oftentimes doing casework on behalf of constituents. They're, they're scheduling the legislator's day. They're making sure that the legislator's on time and prepared for where they need to go. So that is going to be the first person that, you know, you're going to talk to. Oftentimes, if you get into a more complicated issue, you may have a conversation with a staff researcher, somebody who has a more in-depth knowledge on a particular subject area. And so if, if you do have a, an issue related to elder care, you may have a conversation with a researcher who works on health and human services issues. And they're going to be somebody that's knowledgeable about the, the intricacies at the department level. And that's another good thing I should bring up is if you have an issue with state government and how you're interacting with a particular state agency, Contacting your legislator is a great way to help resolve some of those issues just with people trying to manage, you know, the Department of Human Services because they have a loved one who is sick and needs needs assistance. Contacting a legislator and having their office be an advocate for you at the state agency level, that's another. And that's where you would start by talking with a legislative assistant. Mm-hmm. And in general, those legislative assistants do some of the best work um and you know it's it's unheralded you know the obviously the the elected official gets all the credit they're the ones that are making the big decisions but those legislative assistants put in long hours do a lot of hard work on behalf of the constituents for for the senator or representative they work for so you have, if you have a problem with a state agency your legislator is someone you can go to for some help and some recourse i think that's important for people to know absolutely the elected officials are always working with state agencies and to have somebody who has knowledge of the agency, how it works, to have staff, they'll advocate on your behalf to help you with those issues. I think that's a that's a great great resource for constituents to utilize contacting their, their elected officials for with help, whether it's a Department of Commerce issue, Department of Labor, again, Department of Health, those are kind of Department of Transportation. Those are common things that constituents will reach out to their elected officials for health help with. You mentioned just briefly the the numerous positions and staff positions that uh, are there at the Capitol that help who help make the institution run smoothly and assist legislators and public officials. You've actually done some hiring. You've hired a lot of people who work at the Capitol. What are some of the things and background skills and experiences that you're looking for when you're hiring people to work at the Capitol? That's a great question. You know, I love to see on a resume somebody who has customer service experience on their resume. It shows that they know how to interact with the public, to have conversations, to keep their cool, to serve the the folks who are reaching out to the legislator's office. But yeah, I've, <laughs> I've that was that was one of the things I loved most about my my most recent job was um, bringing in staff, hiring staff, and looking for folks, identifying who people are that really have an interest in the legislative process, but also ability to learn, work hard, care about the job, the work that they do. I'm just looking for 
really looking for people who will work hard and do the job in front of them and do it well. People often have a negative view of the legislature, public officials, the legislative process, et cetera, et cetera, for whatever reason it is. Um, they think it's all about money and power and this and that. But you've been on the inside for a long time and you've seen how it works out. Share with our listeners maybe some things that should give them hope about the process or um, from what you've seen that, you know, says, wow, this is this is good people working to do the best they can to work on behalf of all Minnesotans. Can you share like one or two really positive stories or experiences or maybe a perspective you have about the negative perception about the political process? That's a great question. I'd be remiss if I didn't start by saying I do get this question a lot. It's just, oh, it's all a mess there. Nobody gets anything done. And I do think, though, it's important to point out our founding fathers set up our system of government have checks and balances like this because if it was easy to get laws passed, laws would be changing every year and you'd never be able to keep track of what is the law now versus what it was before. So I think that's important for folks to consider that it is set up to be a thoughtful process and take a while to get something changed or enacted into law because it's important that we're not just changing laws you know, on a whim. So I think that's important for people to understand. But in terms of getting things done, I think this last legislative session, the the 2019 legislative session, should give people some hope for, at least in Minnesota, the process works. We had the only divided legislature in the country where we had a governor of one party and at least one legislative body of another party. So Mm -hmm. in Minnesota, we have a, a DFL governor we have a Senate that's controlled by a Republican majority, and you have a House that has a DFL majority. And it's the only place in the country, the only state in the country that had that set up. And we were able to do good things for the state of Minnesota this last legislative session. We passed a budget, passed it on time. We had, had to have a, just a, a really quick extra session to pass the bills, but um, the governor the majority leader in the Senate and the Speaker in the House got together, worked well together to pass the budget solution for Minnesota. And that's a $48 billion budget for a two-year budget that they worked well together. Uh, nobody got everything they wanted, but that's that's compromise. And so I think people walked away. People should feel really good about how last session ended in terms of Republicans and Democrats working together to get things done for Minnesotans. The other thing I'd just add, though, being a a legislative staffer for 19 years, seeing legislators from both sides of the aisle work together, the people, the legislators there, for the most part, nearly universally, they all care about Minnesota and but they work they work together. You don't see that. You know what you see in the in the media is the rancor, the, the heated debates. But by and large, what I've seen at the legislature is folks from both sides of the aisle working together to do good for Minnesotans. And it, it truly is there. I would, you know, it's like 95% of the bills have a strong bipartisan support to Correct. get things done. Mm-hmm. And, and so that happens every day. You just don't see it that often. So I just, I would offer that to your listeners as it, Minnesota, it works. People are doing good for Minnesota. There are a lot of challenging things that one encounters at the legislature, uh, particularly from a staff or elected standpoint of an elected official. Say a little bit about how your faith was a compass for you over the course of those 19 years at the Capitol. That's a that's a great question. You know, that's always been a big part of who I am. 
just my Catholic faith. And so as a staff person, obviously you, you have a job to do. I'm, I was called to be a legislative staffer. And so my job is to whatever position it was to do my job, the best of my ability, but knowing, taking my values that I was, you know, raised in the Catholic faith daily Sunday, a weekly mass attendee, try to get to daily mass if I can once a week, you know, just to, to ground me and center me and know, know who's really in charge that, you know, it's his will ask that his will be done. That is something that, allowed me to be focused on what was really important and get do my job but do it for his glory as well um you know and i i applaud you and the catholic conference uh, this last legislative session you set up a uh, adoration chapel in the capitol and that was just that was one of those things that it was during a difficult part of session, long hours, and to have that to be able to just even, you know, I would have loved to spend an hour there, but my schedule, I got 15 minutes to sit there in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and that's just, it it, it grounds you, it, it helps remind you what's important, and that's been something that's very important to me, and it, it helps, too, to have work with legislators where faith is an important part of their lives as well, and you know, current Senate Majority Leader Paul Gazelka, who I most recently worked for, he's a very faithful man, and that was something that we would oftentimes have conversations about our faith and, and what's important and how does that fit into our daily lives and what we're trying to do. You are an expert uh, about what's going on at the Capitol, and now you're on the advocate side of things. What do you expect? Uh, can you give our listeners a little bit of a session preview, just briefly about what you think the big issues are going to be? We're heading into an election year. Like you said, it is a divided legislature. They got a lot of their work done in 2019. What do you think is going to be the big, some of the big issues people are going to hear about uh, in this upcoming session? Well, the biggest thing for legislators and the governor to do this upcoming uh, legislative session is going to be a bonding bill. And so that's a big capital works project. It's where the the state essentially borrows money to maintain its infrastructure or to to build out its infrastructure. So these are state-owned entities, projects that generally over the last 20 years, that's been about a billion dollars is kind of the average of what a bonding bill might look like, a, a billion dollars in, in bonding. And that's going to be the big issue that everything this legislative session's uh, is is surrounded by because mm -hmm. that's there's um, up maintaining buildings at the University of Minnesota. There's road and bridge projects. It's water, clean water infrastructure. So that's going to be the big discussion: is how much, how much should we borrow? How much should the state borrow in order to up maintain and upkeep uh, state-owned projects, uh, buildings? Recently, there was. Uh, announcement of the state budget. We have a, a $1.3 billion surplus, which is good news for Minnesotans. Um, we've been able to to fill up our rainy day fund. We have $2.5 billion in money in the, in the rainy day fund. Plus now we have a $1.3 billion surplus. There'll be some discussion. What do we do with that? Uh, is that? Is that the government taking in more money than it needs so it should go back to Minnesotans or is that money that can and should be used for for um, more more projects or, or uh, more yeah more funding for people in need and so that'll be a those are going to be the two big money issues and then I think you're going to hear uh, about 
uh, marijuana legalization. The the House Majority Leader has been touring the state um, these last few months, having conversations with folks about legalizing recreational marijuana. So that's going to be a, a heated debate. The, the Senate, on the other hand, is has not been as uh, likely to to move on that legislation. In fact, they had a hearing on it last year, and it died in committee. So those, I think, are the big issues. You're also going to hear about tobacco issues in terms of raising the smoking age to purchase tobacco to 21. That'll be something that'll be discussed. Um, You know, we're starting to hear the House had a committee hearings on assisted suicide. So there there are going to be some hot button issues, whether or not you know, anybody comes to a resolution in an election year, that'll remain to be seen. But I think look for a capital improvement project bill to be the, the centerpiece. Kevin Matzik has been joining us this morning. He is a 19-year veteran of the Capitol. We're grateful for his service to the state of Minnesota. Um, we're grateful that there are Catholics at the Capitol, just like you, and we wish you all the best in your new position in state government relations with Lockridge Grindle now. And Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. And we'll be back in a moment with our mailbag segment. Welcome back to The Bridge Builder, where we help you connect your Catholic faith and public life. I'm Jason Adkins, Executive Director of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, and now it's time to delve into our mailbag to hear what comments and questions you've been sending to our producer, Kit Cross. Kit, what have you got today? Yeah, today's mailbag question pertains to the recent publication of our teaching resource, Minnesota Our Common Home, and specifically one of the satellite resources with that, which is an ecological examine. Today's comment comes on Facebook from Mike. He says, well, Christ died and rose so that our souls might be converted and saved, not so that the environment would be converted and saved. He wants a little clarification on what is this ecological examine. So, Jason, can you help illuminate this comment and question what's the purpose of an ecological examine? Is there actually a connection between caring for creation and our salvation? So uh, oftentimes we hear in uh, our the, from the people in the pew and just in general that uh, you know that Christianity is really about a relationship with Christ and being saved and getting to heaven and then there are all these other issues out there moral issues whether it's abortion or immigration or caring for the poor well these are just other things that people may do like a hobby almost if they feel like it. Um, but in fact, the Christian way of life is a relationship with God and living that out, right? The, the great commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourself. And we love our neighbor um, and serve our Lord in a number of different ways. And certainly the works of mercy, the works of charity um, are a part of that. But also the, the church and John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Pope Francis especially now are highlighting the way in which caring for our common home, caring for creation, um, is an important aspect of discipleship, not because, you know, we have an ecological crisis, which we do, but because it's part of our very um, identity uh, given to us in the garden uh, by God. Adam and Eve, their task was to till and to keep, to be stewards of creation. He gave them great power and dignity, them naming the animals, for example, 
um, is a way in which our, we are supposed to express dominion over creation. And so uh, the way in which uh, we live our life as Christians matters. That's part of our salvation as well. And so uh, the Church needs to give guidance to people about how to do that, consistent with what's going on in the world today. What are the key issues? Of course, there are the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Those are always in season, we might say, but also bringing the gospel into public life, helping to build a society where it's easier for people to be good and where human dignity is protected and the common good is promoted. That is an aspect of discipleship as well. The church doesn't engage in politics and Catholics shouldn't engage in politics simply for the sake of playing politics. We do so uh, to promote human dignity and the common good. And that's one way in which we love our neighbor is working for laws, structures, and doing things that actually promote the well-being of ourselves, our neighbor, and our broader community as a whole. And in this day and age, protecting creation, working for the good of creation, is important. Now, that doesn't mean just simply the well-being of our common home, but it also means all of creation. Creation is not simply uh, raw material uh, that we can manipulate at will, and that's the soil, but it also extends to our bodies. We talk about gender identity theory and ideology and all these things, is that uh, everything— that, what all, all of creation is simply raw material that we can manipulate. No, it's actually a gift to be stewarded, and that's the great beauty of uh, the Church's teaching on creation stewardship, is that God gives us creation, including our very bodies, as a gift to be stewarded, to be protected, to be nurtured, and to use for their great potential, but also consistent with their limitations. There's really not a better definition of the natural law as our participation in the eternal ordering of creation by God himself. So this is a, a way in which we think about the natural law as our participation in creation in with regard to the potentialities, but also the limitations into the way we are created. And the earth has limitations itself. That's why we talk about sustainability is what can we use and how much of the nat earth's resources can we use consistent with its own limitations. Um, and of course, some people say, well, that means we need fewer people. No, we don't need fewer people, but we need to perhaps change our consumption habits to make sure that we can continue to live um, healthy existences and, well, good existences that can sustain the lives of everyone, including the poor, in our common home. Now, to think about uh, these questions and bring them into more detail in a Christocentric way, um, Minnesota Catholic Conference has produced a resource called Minnesota Our Common Home, along with this ecological examine that's not simply a list of sins that you bring to confession, like did I use uh, single-use plastic items or um, am I emitting too much carbon, but a way of thinking about your existence and your habits and your consumption habits particularly and as a whole, but also how you treat um, your body and how we treat our bodies as well. So these resources can be found at mncatholic.org slash ourcommonhome. Again, that's mncatholic.org slash ourcommonhome. Great. Thank you so much. And yeah, we want to really encourage people to check out those resources. An examine is a great thing to do during Advent or during Lent, really any time. Um, and then before we leave today, we want to provide our listeners with a couple other great takeaways. Here's our bricklayer segment. So in light of our conversation earlier today with Kevin Matzik, a former legislative staffer, and some of his good tips for working with and speaking to legislators, we just want to remind people about the Catholic Advocacy Network, which is our resource at uh, the Minnesota Catholic Conference website you can sign up for to get emails about what's going on at the Capitol, and then, of course, different ways you can take action, and, and that includes Congress, I should say, as well, the U.S. Capitol and the state Capitol. But again, we're very busy people. We don't always know what's going on. 
on a day-to-day basis, and especially we sometimes don't know when to speak or when it's going to be effective. So that's why the Catholic Advocacy Network is a great resource to keep you updated and informed, but also give you the tools to effectively speak on important issues. And we do that by um, sending you an email that goes directly to your legislator that you can personalize on key questions, and you can join your voice to the voice of the bishops on key public policy questions um, that are going to be happening at the Capitol, like the legalization of recreational marijuana, which the church strongly opposes, but at the same time also the legalization of assisted suicide, which we strongly oppose as well. So a couple really big issues um, that could could be coming up. uh, We know the marijuana issue will be coming up. We hope the assisted suicide one doesn't come up, but you can be ready uh, for when big issues do come up, and the Catholic Advocacy Network makes it easy for you with a click of the mouse to make your voice heard at the Capitol. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, remember, you can or your organization can become a sponsor of our Bridge Builder program. Doing so will help you and bring the Catholic faith into public life. Becoming a sponsor of the Bridge Builder Show is a great opportunity for business and organizations to advertise. Let listeners know that you support bringing the Catholic faith into the public life by contacting our producer, Kit Cross, at show at mncatholic.org for more sponsorship opportunities. If you want to sign up for the Catholic Advocacy Network that I mentioned earlier, again, that can be found at mncatholic.org. Listeners can also be part of our mailbag segment by sending comments or questions to show at mncatholic.org. And remember, you can catch up on past episodes online by going to mncatholic.org slash podcast. Thanks for tuning in today to The Bridge Builder. We'll be back again next week with another great guest, more of your comments and questions, and a new way for you to build bridges in public life. I'm Jason Adkins, and for Kit Cross of the Minnesota Catholic Conference, have a blessed weekend. Thanks for listening.